Well, good morning, church. Wasn't that awesome to see those kids singing? Right? You know, seeing the next generation. You know, your prayers, your investment here, your love, your service, right? It reaches not only those outside, but it also reaches those inside. You know, I mean, what you're doing is making a difference. So know that. You know, and it's, it's eternal significance. And that's what we're going for, right? Eternal significance. So um, as you know, I like to encourage you guys to, to read the Word of God. In, t- in light of today's passage, I encourage you to read Ezekiel chapter 36. I know it's a few verses, but 24 through 27. Ezekiel 36, 24 through 27. Encourage you to, be, to pray over that passage. Pray as much as you can and whoever you can. And then, as you know, just to be encouraged to just one, share the gospel with somebody. You know, even if it's not verbal, you can send a letter. You can send a text. You can send an email. You know, you can just reach out. And, you know, in our world, we're so connected. But yet, for some odd reason, we always feel so distant from sharing the word. But really, you have so many opportunities do it. And again, I say that not to guilt you, but say it more, why not? Why not? You have the greatest news in the whole wide world. You have the greatest information that actually matters. Jesus is alive and he's here to restore that relationship with him, with mankind. So let's go now to the Lord in prayer. Father, thank you so much all that you have done. Thank you so much for the fact that we get to see these little ones up here and sing, Lord. I pray that it inspires us, Lord, to pursue the gospel more, to know that your word is making a difference, not only just in our life, but in the lives around us, but but within the lives of this church. Lord, there's so many things that we want to get caught up in and we worry about and fret about and get angry about. Lord, Help us to see the joy and the wonder of what what you have done through your son to say, you know what, it doesn't matter. Because you have accomplished our greatest, the biggest thing, the biggest problem that we had in our life is not what we see, but it's what was coming in your wrath and you satisfied. You provided the answer we needed. Lord, now we do ask that you bless us, convict us of our sins, Lord. Reveal them, show them, expose them before our eyes. And then, Lord, fill us with the wonder of your grace to know that we have been forgiven. We can cling to the cross to then want to follow you simply on faith in you. In Jesus' name. Okay, so today for our context in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verses 19 through 22, we've come to another set of short but very impactful and meaningful commands that are meant to be comprehensive of the Christian life. And we're just going to cover one of those commands, verse 19 today. And so our title is Listening to the Holy Spirit. Now, real quick. And first and foremost, right, it's always important to remember that any command in Scripture made to us always has the intention of revealing your sin, right? All the sin in our life that we try to excuse or maybe we're trying to hold on to or maybe we don't even realize 
I mean, understand we commit a lot more sin before God than you know or would like that you don't even know what's going on. And the commands, the laws are there to help us realize that. Because remember, God's standard for us is always perfection in everything about you and I. And we seem to forget that so fast the moment that we make even the little bit of progress. Anytime we make a progress at all in something by the grace of God, small progress in the Christian life, we seem to forget and look over passages that they lose their meaning all of a sudden. Uh, such as Isaiah 64, verse 6, which says this, We have all become like one who is unclean. All of our righteous deeds, the good stuff, are like polluted garments. We all fade like a leaf, and our iniquities like the wind take us away. But I'm not bringing this up to, bring a down, to be a downer here. Right? I'm not trying to say it's to beat us up. right? Okay, But rather, I want us... I want to help us understand just how corrupt our hearts are before God and to help us have a right view of ourselves in light of God's law and who he is. So that then in return, in response, we can rejoice over the grace of, the, the grace of God and the gospel. Rejoice in how he came running after us sinners and how he constantly pursues us out of his great love for us who are completely unworthy of any love. Because the more we realize that it was not our goodness that brought his love towards us. You always think that. No, it's not your goodness that brought his love for you. But really, it was our sin that drew out his love for us. As it says in Romans 5, 8. But God shows his love for us in that while we were doing well. No, while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. When we see just how deficient we are before him, we can then take great joy and rest in his unconditional love for us. The gospel, knowing that he has is and will take care of everything for us all through faith in Christ. Because if we, for we did not deserve his love, nor could we earn his love, nor could we keep his love, but yet he gave, he gave his love to us. And the proof was by sending his son to shed his blood for you and me. And when we think about that, how could we not find rest then in Jesus, rest in this gospel of grace? all through faith in him. So as we look at this text today, remember the ultimate goal of what Paul is saying here is for us to rest in the finished works of Christ by faith alone. Because Paul here is exposing our sins so he can highlight Christ and his magnificent works, his magnificent grace, that we can take confidence and have real rest. The more we pursue that rest by faith in Christ, well then by consequence, it's amazing, it just works this way. By consequence, we'll begin to do the very things we, shall, we fall short of, like the very thing that's commanded to do. It's just, it just happens in and out. So we're going to look at the text, see what we can learn, to rest in our Savior. Okay, so Paul opens up the small section of commands, and, our one, and, and we're only going to look at one, the one verse. 
It's 1 Thessalonians 5.19. If you need to memorize scripture, memorize this one. Begin it now. If you think I'm boring, you just try to memorize it. It says this, do not quench the spirit. Now, this command, it really is an insightful command to the Christian life. That from one perspective, it just seems so unreal, especially, especially because it really reveals just how free we are in Jesus and how truly gracious he is towards us. It really highlights what, what, first, what Peter says in 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 10. It really highlights this concept that God is the God of all grace. Right? Never forget that part of God. That's who he is. He's the God of all grace. Anyways, for just for a moment, follow me. What's being stated here by Paul to the Thessalonians, okay? Paul is saying, hey, stop stifling Stop resisting the work of the Holy Spirit in your life. Let me put it differently to be more direct. Stop ignoring and hindering the work that the Holy Spirit is doing within you. You might say, well, what's so insightful or unreal about that? Remember, remember who the Holy Spirit is, okay? He's God. Okay, the third person of the blessed trinity, for our God is one God, yet three distinct persons. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. Though each person is fully God, there is only one God. Three and one, one and three. How that works, I do not know. Again, if you think I'm boring, try to figure it out. Good luck. But understand, that's who our God is. Now, why bring that up? Well, again, Paul is saying, stop quenching, stop resisting, stop ignoring the Holy Spirit. He's saying, stop resisting God's work, God himself. Stop resisting his work to remove the sin in your life. Stop holding on to your sin rather than following after God. Now, that's mind-blowing because you know what that reveals? It reveals to all of us believers, okay? All of us who claim to believe in Jesus, that how you live, the decisions you make are greater than just you. Even if you think it only affects you and what you do and it affects no one else, that's so far from the truth. For you as a believer, all the decisions you make in this world involve someone else, and that's God himself. He is ever-present with you in all that you do in this world. There's an ever-going relationship that the Spirit has with you in real time. You are not on your own, and you are not your own in how you live. But God the Holy Spirit is ever there, present with you. He is there directing your life now according to his works within you. And Jesus speaks of the Holy Spirit living within us individually, guiding our lives in John chapter 14, verses 16 through 17, where he says this, And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper to be with you forever, even the Spirit of truth, still referring to the Holy Spirit, whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him. But you know him, for he dwells with you and will be in you. And John chapter 14, 
26, he says it again. But the helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. And so what Paul is saying here in the text should really make us wake up and understand that the choices we make in life, how we go about things, how we view things, whatever it is, we can end up fighting against the Spirit's direction, fighting against his work, and fighting against his guidance in our lives. We, we, we have choices to do that. And that's exactly what these Thessalonians were guilty of. And from what we can see, it wasn't just a one-time thing, but seeming a constant thing that was happening, which is why Paul is saying, stop doing that means we too as believers need to be aware of such commanding truths in your life. Because we do this a lot more than we realize or like to admit. We quench the Spirit in our own life if you really just take the time to think about it. We're all guilty of such things. For example, okay, think about this. Are there things Spirit is working within you that you are ignoring, okay? I mean, I can't go for a full list, but think about this, okay? Do you hold on to grudges that he reveals you need to let go and forgive? But you say, no. You know you should, though, but you reject doing so because of pride. And if you forgive them, then you have to let go of your pride and be humble. Are there things in your life that he keeps pointing out that you need to give up, whatever it is, because it keeps dragging you in this place? But you lie to yourself and saying, I got a handle on this. But deep inside, you know you don't. And you either excuse it because you still want that sin, or you excuse it because of the fear of the loss that may happen if you stop doing what you're doing. You're too young, you, you shouldn't have done this. Or is there an area of serving in church or wherever that he's calling you to, but you keep saying no because you don't want to give up your time, but deep down you know you should. That's where the Spirit's direction is going. Are there people you need to reach out to in love and care, but you reject the thought because they hurt you too badly to ever allow any type of restoration? But you know by not doing so, you're thinking you're really protecting yourself, but in reality, you're just growing in bitterness towards them. And it's just feeding on that. And it's way too painful to reach out because it makes you just too angry. But you know you should. You should have an open hand and not a clenched fish, fish, fist. Maybe you take a fish and throw it at them. I don't know. But you know you should. You at least should make an, leave a door open, but you're like, no. Do you refuse, for example, maybe to rejoice with those who are prospering around you, but you're not? 
So you're, you refuse to rejoice over them, rejoice what God is doing, because of jealousy or envy. they get older, their body, their body seems to be fine. Mine seems to break down. So angry, what am I doing wrong? How come they're doing financially fine? I'm not. What's going on? How come they seem to have a good family and I don't? What's going on? And you don't want to rejoice over the wonders that God is doing. Do you refuse to be patient and kind with those who are annoying you? They rub you the wrong way at times, whoever that may be. Because you refuse to be patient and kind because they should know better by now. And deep down, though, you know you need to be more gentle and patient. But if you are them, then you'll just keep being disrespectful because you don't want to give up on them. Or even deeper still, do you reject ministering to people in your life with the gospel because of the fear of their rejection? Or taking this more directly to your heart, do you reject his calming assurance that Jesus is enough for you by faith in him alone? That he has done everything for you to be right with God and you're now free to serve out of love, not trying to merit anything from people. You know, Paul does say this is not up for merit. But it is to give and receive. So we live our life saying, I just want to receive. I don't want to give anymore. That's in Acts. And Jesus said that all clearly. But anyway. Removing his assurance that you are now free in God and just to let him bless you out of love. And you never have to worry about making up for all the bad you have done. Because it's finished in Christ. You just can just rest in the Father. So really in a nutshell, right? Do you quench the Spirit's working power in your life by pursuing sin? And holding on now to the sin of your life. Rather than just simply trusting in God. You have to ask that. Do you live life as if it depends, all of it depends upon you, rather than looking to Christ to provide all of it? And I, and I would say we're all guilty of this quenching of the Spirit in our life because we all fall into the temptation of trusting ourselves, trusting in things, trusting in people to get things done in our life and fix things rather than Christ. Right? It's not saying we can't be involved with people, but... We tend to anchor ourselves in people rather than in Christ. You know, we like to say, as Psalm 20, verse 7 says, like I think we all would say this, right? We all would agree. Some trust in chariots and some trust in horses, but we trust in the name of the Lord our God. And we all would say this of ourselves, I think. Though we say this, I think if we're honest, though, our lives, our emotional states, even our relationships, our habits, don't reflect that as much as we would like. Though we, have, though we know we have salvation by grace alone, through faith alone, we know we're saved, we tend to ignore the Spirit's reminder of truly how free we are in Him. 
And then we tend to find our immediate release, our immediate rescue, our immediate assurance or establishment in life and everything else but Jesus. We get so caught up when things are going wrong and when God's up there, everything's going just fine. I love you. Trust me, I got you. It's going to be okay. And we freak out and we run to everything else but the king. Hence why we fall into the sin, why we fall into sin. We ignore the spirit's guidance of looking and trusting in Jesus in those moments of weakness. Okay, now, that's one way of looking at that. Now we're going to approach this verse in a different direction, so follow me, okay? Notice what he does not say then anywhere in this verse or after it. And this is the part that reveals how gracious and our God is and how truly free we are in Christ. Notice he does not say, do not quench the spirit because he will eventually leave you. That he will eventually forsake you because you keep ignoring the work within you and among you. That's not found in the text before, after, or anywhere in 1 Thessalonians. But you, but right, but in the real world, we would expect that. Because, I mean, that's how the world works. That's how relationships are in this world. Even with the most patient and gracious of people, eventually they give up on you if you won't listen, if you ignore their directions, you ignore their helps. People eventually say, okay, I had enough. I need to move on. I'm done with you. This this is the relationship economy of the world in which we live in. It's a give and take. Even with those whom we dearly love, at some point, if they just keep rejecting us, we get fed up and we let them go. Even as much as we love them, we have our ceiling. Go, enough is enough. I'm out. But that's not how God works. That's not how he deals with his beloved. For God's economy of grace is that he gives and gives and gives and just gives and gives and just gives and gives, and he stays with you and never leaves, which is truly amazing. For God stays with you even in your sin, in your sinful moments. Maybe not moments, maybe it's a a long period. He stays with you even though your sin is ultimately against him. God does not forsake you, even though you're forsaking him. Or for our immediate context, even though you're quenching God, the Holy Spirit, in those moments, or time frame, whatever it may be, he will not leave you, which is mind-blowing, because he should. Now, some of you who are more familiar, familiar with the Bible may be thinking of a passage in Isaiah. And for those of you who have no idea what I'm talking about or about to bring up, you're going to find out. Because this passage that you may be thinking of or you're going to see, you may, be brought, you may bring it up as a challenge to your own faith. And that's this. It says in Isaiah 63, verse 10. But, this is the Old Testament, but... They rebelled and grieved the Holy Spirit. Grieved the Holy Spirit's in the Old Testament too. It's brand new. It's not a new thing. Therefore, because they rebelled and they grieved, therefore he turned to be their enemy. And he fought against them. And they sinned. 
When you see this passage, you might question everything I've said about the Holy Spirit not leaving us if we resist him. Because we just read, we see that God, the Holy Spirit, tur- Spirit turns against them. He turned against the people he was with because of their sin. You might ask, well, won't that happen to us then if we keep quenching him in our life? Before I answer that question, okay, I want you to understand, do you see how this is no small command then? That this is something that we really do need to take seriously and not just simply look over like, oh, yeah, no, 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 we won't. Not just look at it thinking, oh, this is just good advice for our lives as Christians. Yeah, it'll quench the spirit. Like, no, this is a real, this is the real deal. For again, you're dealing with God himself in your life. He is not far off looking at the masses of the world for you to get lost in or for him to lose sight of you. You know, like you look like at a bunch of ants, you're like, ooh, I don't know where that one ant I was looking at went. You are now living in his presence. He is involved with all that you touch, all you say, everywhere you go. He sees it all and is with you in it all. All those emotions you feel, the thoughts you make, any attitude that comes about. He is there with you in all of it, and he's not just there watching you like a recorder. He is very much involved with you to guide you to make the right choices. He's talking to you. He's there to guide you to live the right way, to have the right relationships, to have the right interactions with the world. I can't emphasize that enough. You're not on your own. But we so easily forget and ignore him in our life, we quench his work in us by thinking little of him or just full out rejecting him and choosing our own way. Yeah, God, but you got to, or we don't even take the time to say, yeah, God, we just ignore and just do our own thing. But now back to the question, will the spirit leave us if we continue then to quench him? Well, here's why I can be so bold and and confident in saying no. No, he will never forsake you. He will never fight against you. He will never become your enemy because of our sin, the quenching in our life. And for that, I turn to your attention to Romans chapter 8, verse 1. And it says this, Therefore, uh, there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. For all condemnation from God, to have him fight against us, to have him punish us, to have his wrath upon us is fully taken away from us through faith in Jesus Christ. For the gospel is good news for for us now, and he will not forsake us now. There is no condemnation at all from God. So when you read passages such as Isaiah, because you'll see things kind of like that in the Old Testament. Oh, man, what about that verse? You always read them in light of what Jesus did. All, and it's all because of Jesus, as Romans says, God the Holy Spirit will never bring condemnation upon you for your sin and fight against you and punish you or leave you, but rather he will fight for you. As it says in Romans 8, 31, where it says this, what shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? And 
who fights for you so you can know and trust in Jesus more, to remind you Christ has you fully covered all by faith in him. And it says this in Romans 8, chapter, tw- uh, chapter 8, verses 26 through 27. Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. He's there to help you. We don't know what to pray for as we ought. That's right, because I don't know how to pray. Well, no one does, okay? But the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. And he searches the hearts to know what is, uh, and he who searches the hearts knows what is the mind of the Spirit because the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. And then in another passage in Ephesians chapter 1, verses 13 through 14, it says this, In him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we inquire possession of it to praise to the praise of his glory. So because of Jesus, he, God the Holy Spirit, has no reason ever then to fight against us because of our sin. And because of Jesus, he is also the guarantee of our salvation that Christ accomplishes. Now there's one more thing that we should see in light of this command, or insight, I should say. And this is important. Though we may be quenching his work, and you all do, okay? We all sin. That's, that's, that's quenching. We all have sins we have a hard time letting go. It's important to note what Paul did not say. He did not say that we fully stop For though we are responsible in how we live in response to the Spirit's guidance in our lives, remember, we are not greater than God the Holy Spirit. For our God is greater than us, greater than even our will to sin against him and ignore him in our lives. Don't forget this gospel which we now believe is good news, remember? And we truly free from the power of sin in our lives, even if we give in to sin. Well, when you you do give in to sin, not if. When you do give in to sin, it does not fully stop his work. For Christ has truly accomplished and covered everything for you and me by faith in him, even our sin of quenching the spirit. For no matter what, even though we do quench the spirit, The Spirit will accomplish His work of transforming us into the image of Christ. Nothing will stop Him. Even you. Even you. For the gospel is good news for sinners. We are truly free from the power of sin in our life. And we can know this for a fact because it says in 2 Corinthians 3, verses 17 through 18, it says this. Now the Lord is the Spirit. And where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. You're free. Free of the power of sin and guilt. And we all, with unveiled faces, with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. For this comes from the Lord who is the Spirit. This is a promise to us that Christ has accomplished and freely given to us, all by faith in him. 
the region of Sri West in an exhausting way of getting this done. So I prayed. I prayed with you, along with myself, that we begin running to Christ, asking him where we have been fighting the Spirit's gracious guidance in our life so that we can rest in Christ's finished work for us. And even if we forget and fail at all that we talked about here the moment you walk out of those doors, we can still take joy in knowing Christ has truly taken care of everything for us all by faith in him alone because it's truly finished in Christ. Amen. I'm gonna invite the deacons to come up We're going to have a time of song of response. I invite you, those of you, maybe, if you've never given your life over to Christ, now is the time I invite you to give your life over to Christ, to come over here and let us know so we can help you and disciple you and and get you involved. You can come up and pray with one of the deacons. And also, too, those of you out there who have been struggling and maybe have something that you need to, to talk about that, you talk about it with the deacon. You can talk about it with God. You don't even have to tell, tell the deacon or me or anyone about it. You can simply say, just pray for me. You don't even have to know. You know who knows God already. And that's what matters. So understand, there's a God who loves you. And there's a God who cares for you. And he wants to use this time to trust in him, trust in him. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, thank you so much for all that you have done. God, you are so good in passages like this, Lord, that we see and we may get scared or pain go quench. But you say, come be with me now. Oh, God, that is so great to rest in that Jesus has truly done everything for us. So bless us now, Lord, as we sing, as we meditate upon you. And Lord, encourage us to keep trusting in you.